0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 611 of Cold Weave Soundcheck, I'm Aaron Pollock. This season we're chatting with the performers of the Cold Weave 6 Festival in Chicago, September 29th, 30th, and October 1st. Saturday and Sunday's Metro performances have sold out, so act quickly to purchase your tickets for Friday's Metro show, the Friday and Saturday Smart Bar shows, and the Thursday kickoff performance at the Empty Bottle. For ticket links and the full lineup, head to coldwaves.net. This week we're chatting with Saturday Metro performer Tom Eller. This is Severed Heads. Australia is pretty far away for industrial electronic music, uh, especially since you've been around for so long. I was wondering if it was isolating at all when you started out or were there other people doing things similar to you? Was there a scene of any sort?
1: Well, if you go back far enough, you're getting into the late seventies and uh, yeah, obviously Australia was a very far, you know, far away from everything but I would question whether you can actually locate this in any particular place. Industrial music for me comes from England. It was an English folk music. The bands like Robin Grissell and Cabaret Voltaire were basically folk bands uh, that were in the urban soundscape. And so we were kind of like orientated that direction. We weren't really kind of orientated to the United States at all, you see. so. You know, maybe you guys were far away from everything, not us. But one thing about the early origins of this kind of music is that you would be very much uh, alone. You, Everybody had to do things themselves and, and couldn't really rely on being part of a scene or having any support. And that really wasn't expected. I mean, we would have done what we did if no one cared at all. It didn't really matter.
0: Tell me about after the Gary Newman tour in 2011, where there was a document that said you you can't play in Australia again.
1: Well, you see, you know, bands break up and uh, bands stop. And, and, you know, of course, they come back like zombies. (laughs) And it was kind of like shooting the zombie in the head. We didn't want to come back. And so, you know, it just happened to be that we were... were, um, playing the last show that we were gonna do. And uh, just happened to be with the the Newman tour guys. So they made us up a little, little package, um, some chocolates and a, a nice card and everything. And Gary B just signed it along with everybody else. But uh, that was a really great excuse to be able to say, no, we can't play live because, you know, Gary says we're not allowed to. And, um, you know, it's a wonderful excuse for like turning stuff down and not making people upset. And really, honestly, we still don't do, like, we, it really was a kind of ending of shutting off of what we were doing. Sh- certainly we will play live, but it's pretty much, you know, borrowing from, that, from the period before we stopped, you know? Kind of like a traveling museum, really. Mm-hmm. We're still doing lots of new and in- interesting things, but just not as part of that, that identity.
0: Speaking of turning people down, I know Jason asked you repeatedly to, to come to Cold Waves before uh, you agreed to come at Cold Waves 4. Tell me about your experience when you played.
1: You know, this is a really complicated, you know, this is a kind of poignant thing. Um, the thing I couldn't really say beforehand about turning him down was that I was actually taking care of somebody who was ill and well. And, you know, I couldn't really say that. I couldn't say, you know, I can't come because, you know, I'm I'm caring for somebody. I mean, that was part of it and partly, you know, that my position at the university, I was in a kind of mode of of existence. And um, unfortunately, that person killed themselves. And it was like very, very poignant to come to Cold Waves and perform at something, which was a charity for, you know, people who are in that kind of distress. And so it was a very, very emotional thing. And we were kind of, you know, we, you never know what you're going to get as a response. You never know quite what it is that people will, will, will do when you get there. And it seemed really cathartic, uh, for not only for us, but the people that we were performing for to, to come and, and do the, the shows. And uh, similar kind of thing in Europe when we, when we went there last year, you know, been a very long time and people have been waiting a long time, you know. The Americans kind of treat live shows. You know, the Americans treat live shows like kind of church meetings. They they kind of cry and handle snakes and carry on. You know.
0: I remember wa- watching your set, and it was uh, it was really powerful. And I saw that it it moved me, and it moved a lot of other people that that were watching it alongside too. So I I I can't imagine what that must have been like to go through.
1: Well, you know, it, it's. It's the whole live show thing is really weird. I I would not, if I had the chance, I wouldn't play live shows, but obviously they're they're a known and wanted thing. Uh, I always just want to, I was trying to get to broadcast stuff. I was saying to Jason, can't we broadcast something? And he's going, no, no, you actually have to fly your meat over the side of the planet kind of (laughs) thing. And it just, it seems so archaic. I mean, it just seems like, you know, it was a time when david bowie was doing a, a world tour and he did it in cinemas and he, he broadcast into all the cinemas
0: around the world at once and i was always really impressed by that don't they have those k-pop stars that are that are just sort of holograms and they have i'm sure you could you <laughs> could figure something out
1: well well, Craftwork always wanted to build replicas of themselves that they would they would send around but the Replicas they built were so kind of piss weak that they still had to show up, you know, because all they did was move around really slowly. But yeah, I, I think holographic holographic performance is is like you know it just makes sense. It just means that you know the the, the cost of flying from Australia and the amount of time it takes. Um, like we're doing this Canadian thing in a couple of weeks, and you know it's going to be a really long flight to get there, and then bang 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 we do a week, and then we fly back again. It's kind of like really silly.
0: Tell me about Pontology House and Snow Globe because uh, uh, people might be fans of yours, but not realize that you're also working on video games as well.
1: Albums are a really interesting thing. What is an album? Uh, you know, it's different on vinyl because it's got two sides, and then there used to be four track uh, cartridges which had four sides. And so, albums are a really interesting place to play around. And the thing about these these games, and not they're not games so much as places you can walk around the music and you can you can go and you can walk up to particular pieces of music and you can change them and you can sort of navigate through them and i just think that's a really interesting place to be working at the moment is game sound you can do things there which are actually pushing the envelope along rather than kind of going yeah here's another another album you know once you've got a lot of
0: albums done, you don't really need to keep making more albums. Uh I also saw on your Vimeo page that Greater Reward is now a 360 degree VR video. I think it's a really interesting yeah, yeah. technology. I've only I went to a a window store that had a demo set up and I tried the VR headset on and I I think it I think this is a really fascinating new piece of technology that still seems to be in its infancy. So, I'm not sure if you know, TV shows will start doing it or movies will start doing it. I, I think it's, it's very, it's a very challenging format. So where do you see it going or what, what do you think will naturally lends itself to virtual reality?
1: Yeah. So we have a, uh, we have a kind of production company on the side, which has to do with developing 360 degree uh, the media and the video side of it's kind of complicated, as you say, because there's no behind the camera. You if, if there's a camera there, then the camera sees itself and the person behind the camera, there's no behind at all. And that means like making films and movies and things is a really big challenge. That whole kind of narrative uh, storytelling is changed very much. And I also think at the moment that we're trying to make documentaries, we're trying to make things look real with this. And I'm not sure that's gonna last that much longer. Eventually we're gonna to have to start stop being real. But where I'm at is 360-degree sound, and the thing with that is it's not stereo or quadraphonic or whatever. Each individual uh, instrument is its own object, and you can position the instruments in the sound field however you like. And so, you know, it's like when you see a band and you turn your head left and right, and you're going to hear this more or that less There's a lot to be done there, and it's really kind of at the very, very cutting edge of how we deliver musical entertainment. So if you go to a a movie at the moment, you'll often hear the soundtrack in a format called Dolby Atmos. Dolby Atmos is something where there's 128 objects being tracked around the, the theater and being presented in 3D sound. And, you know, it's great for film, but, of course, you could do music. You could do live music that way, or you could do recorded music that way. And there's obviously a lot of creative work to be done there. You know, down the road from me, the university that I used to work at has, like, a cylindrical room, which has got 36 monitors set up around there, so it's actually, like, a space that you can walk around in without needing the goggles. We were over there playing with it the other day, kind of thing and, and thinking about how this is going to be the kind of holodeck that people have always wanted in science fiction. Yeah. But then what do you put in the holodeck? What is it that people want to see? What what What's entertaining? What isn't entertaining? The technology itself is just a box. I mean, what are you going to put in the box is really the question at the moment.
0: I think the answer is porn, right?
1: Yeah, I think VR is going to be por- I mean, VR is going to be very much connected with porn. And I think think that's what the helmet thing's going to be but you know when you get into the rooms where you know you're you're not wearing the helmet and it's a shared experience like you know many people in the room watching together uh that's not where porn's going to go I don't think I actually have a very clear idea about what I want to do with VR but it's kind of a little bit harsh harsh at the moment um because I'm still setting up all the connections with people um, about, But it'll be actually, I think, a really socially important and, and a really neglected area where this technology could be very helpful to people. And so uh, it'll be happening soon.
0: Back to Severed Heads. Oh, well. you, you didn't put anything out for, what, 10 years or so, but uh, you just recently put out a couple new tracks. Are you still working on more things or is that more of a one-off sort of thing?
1: Well, we have, uh, we, we said that Seven Heads wasn't going to do anything new. And, and then what happened was that we respond very well to kind of magical coincidences. Uh, it's better, I, I mean, it's more complicated than that, but it's a quick way of saying it. So we were contacted by a radio show. They said us, they wanted us to do a 20 minute long experimental set. And at the same time, uh, we were contacted by somebody else who had a lathe who said he could cut 20 minute long, you know, lathe recordings, acetates. You know, it was pretty obvious that you could do something with acetates that you could then turn into a radio broadcast, which then you could put onto an acetate kind of thing. There was kind of some alchemical thing going on there. So we did a a one-off thing, which um, we didn't make too many copies of. It's a bit rare, but that was kind of cool and interesting because it was very, very different to uh, what we have been doing and very much like what we did when we, we, we started up as a band. We've got another thing coming up called Donut. Uh, and Donut is like a CD mixed with a vinyl record. It's It plays on both a turntable or a CD player. And it's kind of handmade, and it's being made at this very moment. So we're actually going to have copies, we think, maybe in a week or so, which will be pretty pretty cool. Um, so that's we like to do experimental things like that, but not really make new albums or, or new kind of like, you know. We're kind of like doing different, something different Yeah.
0: What is aversion?
1: Well, aversion is is having a lot of trouble at the moment. It started off with the idea that okay, we're not allowed to do any new, only of our own music. So I thought, well, maybe we'll do somebody else's music. And then there's this whole thing about electronic bands always having to do a cover version before anyone ever listens to them. You know, if you think of all the electronic bands, like you know, they, they always have to do a cover version of somebody else's stuff, and then people go, oh, yeah, I like them now. And so it was kind of like a joke on that. And, and then kind of finished the album and then really didn't like it. Um, I kind of just thought, this is really not doing anything interesting. Um, so dumped the whole album and started again on a version two, which is basically, it's kind of hard to explain. It's, it's not actually, it's taking other people's music and then uh, kind of editing it to kind of make a, a, a kind of hybrid of it or... Uh, some sort of like, you know, a bonsai plant. or I'm I'm not really sure how to explain it yet, but it's not like a version. It's kind of like when you get something and you turn it into something else that was hidden inside it, Mm -hmm. like giving it a haircut or something. But, you know, this is the problem with music. A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, it has to be finished by such and such a date. So, you know, out it comes, whether it's ready or not. And that was what it was like being on record labels back in the day the old albums that we put out were were released too early, too quick to, you know, they weren't finished, they weren't really
0: there yet, and I I don't want to do that anymore. That was all I had for you. Was there anything that I missed that you wanted to go over or or talk about or mention?
1: Doing America last time, we learned a lot, and and one of the things we learned was that there were people who had actually come to more than one show, and so uh, we kind of like, oh shit, okay, so we have to do something slightly different every night, and that means, you know, if you're going to do about 10 tracks and they've all got to have videos and you're going to do something different, you actually have to end up having, uh, we've calculated we'll need 30 videos, 30 tracks, 30 videos that we're going to have to sort of isolate through. And uh, so coming up with 30 videos has been you know, interesting, but we're getting there. And, uh, you know, apart from that, it's kind of like how much really kind of noisy stuff do you do? How much danceable stuff do you do? how do you adjust this stuff to the audience in real time all of that puzzling stuff that we're working through at the moment now. I'll just sneak up behind you now, tippy-toe. Here I come now.
0: On this episode, you heard Halo, Heart of the Party, and a portion of Cheerio, Inner Moon. Severed heads can be found at SevCom.com. Our opening music is Monster Zero by Acumen Nation. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app with the links found in the show notes. Join us next week as we chat with Lynn Standifer from End User. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Ways, Fallen Chicago Musician, and Soundman Jamie Duffy.
2: Here is Acumen Nation merch guy Eric Strombach sharing a road story
1: memory.
2: I joined Acumen on the road in their last few years of touring to sell merchandise at shows. And one of the things I noticed is when you're a person who doesn't drink or do drugs or anything is everybody likes to jokingly offer you Drugs and alcohol. So on tour, uh, I was the new guy and that was the joke to make. And for whatever reason, I always suspect it had to do with Jamie's own hazing whenever he joined the band. Uh, But he would get bent out of shape. He fucking hated. Hated whenever somebody would be like, Eric, you want a drink? He would just be like, leave him the fuck alone! All the time. He would just be like, why don't you leave him alone? He would just like, Like, I didn't care. I'd roll off my shoulders. I had friends who made that same comments for years. I still have friends who do that. But for some reason, Jamie fucking couldn't stand. Couldn't stand when any of the guys in Acumen, Cyanotic, whenever they would say anything regarding, like, offering me a drink as a joke. I mean, it's not funny, but it's not harmful. And he hated it. Every time, he would just have to, like unnecessarily stick up for me he'd be like could you fucking stop like he's like stop it leave him alone he doesn't want a fucking drink and uh (laughs) I kinda got a kick out of him getting bent out of shape over it and I think I'm sure the rest of the guys did too